0: Hello, and welcome to Breaking Protocol. I'm your host, Bob Sadoway. Today, my guest is a newly elected member of the Illinois State House of Representatives, one of approximately 40 elected state representatives in the United States under the age of 30. Margaret Croak is a member of a new generation of elected legislators and was the only female in the Democratic primary defeating four men on March 17th. She will no doubt be designated as a member of the 30 Under 30 Club. However, she has spent her entire adult life developing the experience necessary to effectively execute the requirements of her new position. Immediately after graduation from the University of Michigan, Ms. Croak returned to her hometown of Chicago, and began working on progressive, grassroots initiatives, forwarding ideas that benefit all Americans. Her professional career includes positions with the Cook County Commissioner, Bridget Gaynor, Chicago's Mayor Rahm Emanuel's office, and currently, she is a member of Illinois Governor's J.B. Pritzker's administration. Clearly, she has an impressive background and the knowledge to represent the constituents of District Twelve in the Illinois State Legislature. I'm very excited to welcome to the show today, Margaret Croak. Margaret, welcome. Making Hi. Protocol. Hey,
1: Bob. How you I'm doing? I'm so happy to be here. Uh, oh, I'm good. I'm good.
0: I'm happy for you to be here too.
1: This yeah, is, I'm this... a little sleep deprived, but you know. Are you? We'll, we'll get through it. <laughs>
0: well, you're you're a new mother. You're a yeah. new, You're a new mother, and and not only are you a new mother. Uh, you're a new nominee, you are not new to politics itself, and or to the political arena. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that for a few minutes, and let our listeners get an idea of your background, why you decided this was the time for you to enter the political arena as a candidate, because you've been working in politics for a while.
1: My whole career has been behind the scenes. I started out Uh, working at the county for Commissioner Bridget Gaynor, who is the commissioner for the district that I live in now, doing a lot of property tax appeal work, um, work on a land bank, work on um, the uh, juvenile justice system, and uh, the hospital, Stroger, which is our our public hospital. That was my first entrance into politics. And I loved it. I love Commissioner Bridget Gaynor. She's a mentor to for me. And she was someone I looked up to this entire time I was running for office. I then transitioned over to the Hillary Clinton campaign in 2016. I still have a hangover from that, (laughs) as I'm sure everyone does. I think a
0: lot of Democrats have a hangover from that campaign, for sure.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So and that's where I started with a lot of my grassroots work. I worked across the state. I was a regional organizer. So lots of interactions with the local Democratic organizations. After that loss, I went to the mayor's office very briefly, and then after the mayor, I went to, and that was Mayor Rom Emanuel, then I went to J.B. Pritzker's campaign for a year and a half, where I was his director of Women's Outreach. That's kind of where I got into the mindset of potentially running for office. Um, I worked very closely on a piece of legislation called House Bill 40. That bill would protect Illinois and keep us a pro-choice state if Roe v. Wade were overturned. And my experience with the female legislators who were sponsors on that was uh, I saw, okay you can have all this influence behind the scenes, but the people making the most change, the ones that are bringing this conversation to the forefront, the ones who identified that this could even be something that we should be concerned about under a Trump administration were the elected officials. And that's something, that perspective, I felt my generation was missing in Springfield. And I'm 28 years old. I know for a lot of people that's very young, but there are issues that a 28 year old young mom deals with that don't even cross a radar for some individuals. And they weren't even on my radar until I had a kid or became a homeowner or any of any of those issues. So it's been interesting and i'm i'm happy to be on this side of things because i think that there's some really great policies come january we'll be able to institute regardless of this being a post covid world
0: it's interesting that you you mentioned that you're 28 it's when i was doing the research for this podcast i wasn't taking into consideration your age but what i was taking into consideration was the new generation of leaders that are presenting themselves for elected office
1: in December when I decided to run because I don't see a lot of young moms and young women running for office. We see a lot more women running for office for sure, but there's always this barrier for young moms to get involved because of the lift that a campaign is and always the nature of women. And I think moms to just say, I'll do this later I'm not a priority, my my kids are a priority, my family is a priority, my friends are a priority, my career is my priority. Running for office sounds great, but I've got to push that off until I I can do it at a better time. And in Chicago politics, you don't get that opportunity. We are a very heavy democratic area. If you want to run for office, you have to to do it when you can. Uh, Sarah had served as representative for about 26 years I didn't want it to be a situation where I didn't take the opportunity and then I was going to be waiting another 26 years. So I've been in the administration for the past two years at the Department of Commerce. I'm still at the Department of Commerce until I get appointed in January. So that all to say, I've worked at the county, the state and the city. So I have a really great background knowledge of uh, government and a really great background knowledge of campaigns.
0: Yeah, it sounds like you really have dug in right at the beginning of your career and put in the work that it takes to have a broad grasp of how government functions and how the different agencies of government functions with each other. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I I find that really fascinating. As I said in my introduction, you are a new generation of candidate in the respect that you are a woman, you are a newlywed, you are a new mother, and in fact, when you decided to actually present yourself for public office, correct me if I'm wrong, you were actually pregnant at the time. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I was eight months pregnant. <laughs> a little bit of an a interesting point in time. And also my husband had started a new business. So there were a lot of balls up in the air.
0: You're newly pregnant, newly married. Your husband's starting a new business, and you decide running for the state legislature was something that was within your reach. Not meaning that you felt you could win, which you did win, but that it was within your reach to even run a campaign. Most people in your position, and most women in your position, and I'm not going to try to speak for women here, I'm just being observational, if you will, would literally have thought you were insane to try to have pulled that off. And not only that, you didn't have a lot of time to make that decision either, because that seat was vacated with little notice.
1: Yeah. So that was kind of the impetus for me to get involved in the race. Um, maybe if I had had more time to think about it, <laughs> <there laughs> happened. but our Senator, Senator John Cullerton, who was also the president of the Senate, um, the Illinois state Senate, he resigned and uh, there were conversations where Sarah Feigenholz, the representative was going to take over his seat. That was in November. So we had two weeks to get, I think a thousand signatures. And I ended up getting about 3,000 signatures in a very, very short amount of time. I was eight months pregnant and it's my first kid, right? So all the moms who are listening, I just, I didn't know what I was signing up for. I will say there's no one who you need to want to do this. And this needs to be something that you're incredibly passionate about. If you are passionate about making Illinois or whatever state you live in or whatever local municipality you're representing a better place, then there's not a lot of hesitation. I'm someone who loves this state so much. I love my community so much. I love Chicago. I'm so proud of it. But that doesn't mean I don't see the issues that the state has and that the city has. And I want to fix them. And that was just what fueled me the entire time.
0: So let's talk about the campaign itself. I think Mm -hmm. anybody out there who's thinking about running for office and They have the passion and they have the drive and they really want to do it, but they find all the reasons why not to do it. You are an example of ignoring all those reasons. You're an example of of ignoring all those hurdles. And let's talk about the grassroots part of running a campaign and what that means. That is a very basic hurdle that you have to have the desire to pursue one element of grassroots politics is knocking on doors asking people to vote for you and you did this right you went around knocking on doors yeah but not only did you go not only did you go around knocking on doors you went around knocking on doors in the middle in the in the height of chicago winter right yeah yeah and you did it with a newborn strapped to your chest I, I, I'm speechless in, in some ways. I mean, I don't think anybody's going to believe this. I really don't think anybody's going to believe this, but, but talk about that a little bit. What was that experience like?
1: Yeah. So I was, I was out on the campaign trail six days after PJ was born. Um, I went, my first endorsement session was with the Illinois Federation of Teachers and he was in the, the lobby of CTU. I just got back out there. And yeah, one of the things about Illinois politics and especially House politics, if people have any background, is that we are Democrats have continued to win in Illinois because of our field campaign, because we knock doors, because we are out there for hours and hours every single day. The benefit of my district is that I have so many high rises that it actually the walkable areas is very minimal. So we have about 8% walkable doors is what we say. It within the entire district. So I have a limited piece, which made it a lot more manageable for me to make sure that I was hitting all those doors. So yeah, so Paige and I would go out, I would wrap him up, put him in my baby Bjorn, and start knocking. And that's what you have to do with petitions too. I mean, back in November, when I was getting signatures, I stood outside a Starbucks for every single day for like five days for hours and hours and hours just getting signatures. It's it's the way Illinois politics is. People believe that's a barrier to entry. But at the same time, if you're not talking face to face with some of these people that you're hoping to represent and that are going to vote for you. I think you're missing out on some really great opportunity.
0: Well, I was going to say, I think, it, I think that's an extraordinary opportunity, actually, that when I look at it, it gives you a chance to actually get face to face with folks.
1: Yeah. And this is all pre-COVID, right? So sure. what field looks like Next year or the year after may be very different. I don't know how comfortable people are going to be with that face-to-face interaction until there's a vaccine. And even then, I think people in their psyche are going to have some issues with that. But we'll we'll tackle that when we get there.
0: Interestingly enough, you are one of about 40 to 45 under 30 folks who have gotten themselves elected to state legislatures throughout the country. And though you are not the youngest, you certainly are a member of a very, very small group of elected legislators in the United States. One, how do you feel about that? Is that something that you thought about? Did you consider that to be a barrier to your electability? And then two, do you feel that the party is opening its platform to a new generation of leaders?
1: Yeah, I mean, so I don't think it's specific to the party. I will not be the youngest representative in Illinois state politics. Interestingly enough, Um, in the in the state house, there is one Republican member who is a month uh, younger than me. So she she will keep that title. But I think that with the rise of social media, with the rise of news, the way that we can communicate to voters and not having to communicate with cable or radio, even though that's something I had to do, I think you're seeing that younger politicians or younger elected officials are able to get their message out. And that's making them more electable. It's it's giving them a platform. And we're talking about some issues that I think a lot of young people feel are ignored. I mean, From my perspective as a young mom, there are a lot of things that I think about on a constant basis that have not been raised in Illinois state politics, and that's just because it's not top of mind. Like, individuals who are voting on this legislation and creating this legislation are not thinking about the sales tax on diapers anymore because their kids haven't been in diapers in years. That's something I'm thinking about. Like, I'm thinking about universal child care because if I am a mom who needs to go down to Springfield and I didn't have the resources I have, how, who's, who's going to be taking care of my kid? I mean, Patrick, my husband has to work as well. So these are things that I, I think they're so personal and they're just so top of mind for me. Um, it makes me really excited though, that I think that number of 40 is just going to keep climbing as, as we go on um, as, especially with the, the rise in activism of, this younger generation, the millennial generation, with everything going on, whether it's Black Lives Matter, whether it's, you know, reforming police, gun violence, everything like that. I I just think that we're going to see a real increase in the younger generation stepping up.
0: When developing your campaign platform, what were the specific issues that motivated you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that the issues that I stressed during the campaign and that motivated me have changed somewhat in the past six months or four months since everything's happened with COVID. But one of the things that, you know, I was very passionate about was the environment. And specifically, I have the whole lakefront in Chicago on the north side. So if you're ever driving down, you know, the famous Lakeshore Drive, that's my district. And we have insane rising water levels that's a huge concern. I have residents who are looking at the fact that their homes are going to experience serious flooding. There's infrastructure damage. The tourism aspect of that area too, you know, you're talking about Navy Pier and you're looking at the late walk front trail and it's all turned to, it's turning to rubble soon. So the environment and with that specific issue has always been something that was very, I was very passionate about. And I'm also thinking about the fact my generation's not having children because they are scared of what the planet is going to look like in 30 years. And I'm not saying everyone needs to have a kid, but the fact that I'm having conversations with my girlfriends and they're saying, I don't want to have a child because I don't know what the world is going to look like in 30 years or in 40 years or in 50 years. And I'd prefer just not to put a person into that environment is insane to me. And so that was one big thing I think I resonated with a lot of people within the district Healthcare. care. Um, I, I actually have an older demographic in my district and access to health care, expanding Medicaid. Those were big, big issues that were top of mind for, for everyone I spoke to. And then the third thing is I wish it had come earlier, but we are talking about gun violence and how we can curb that in our communities because we've started to see that we're having an increase in gun crimes and violent crime in our district. So how do we, how do we tackle that? So conversations around that were, I had a lot of those. It was very often, and we were trying to figure out solutions.
0: So a lot of these issues, Margaret, that, that you are speaking of, very relevant issues, environment, gun control, uh, these are things that are extremely important to a broad base of constituents. With mm-hmm. that said, a lot of the initiatives cost money.
1: I know. Yeah. And, and
0: Illinois isn't exactly in the best financial shape. And, 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 and you know, this, you know, this, but I, but I'm, I'm bringing this up because I would like to have your insight. For example, the state pension funds of illinois are highly underfunded and that impacts an older demographic you are speaking of from a perspective of a new generation of elected official that is looking to invest in environmental initiatives that clearly impact a broad base of a constituency however where do you find the money to do both can you do both
1: yeah, so that's a really great point. And that's actually been exacerbated by COVID. Governor Pritzker presented a balanced budget for the first time in a very long time in for, for Illinois. So the initiatives that I'm looking for now to January are a little bit different than the ones that I was putting forth when I thought we were in a better financial situation prior to COVID. So some of the things I'd like to do when we talk about universal child care, I'm mostly talking about leveraging if we have a Biden administration, the um, proposal that he has put forth and how do we either try to match those dollars or how do we use those dollars to implement a program statewide. So it's going to be a lot of leveraging federal dollars because we don't have the revenue streams right now in Illinois to be, cre- be creating new po- programs. And then it's also investing in things where I know there's a return. So you look at universal childcare, or you look at some of the environmental projects, where does that put us in five to 10 years? Like how, where does that bring in money? Because sometimes I think that it can be a little short-sighted when we think, okay, if I do A, it's going to get to B. So tax cut. Okay. Tax cut means that um, we're going to have X amount of loss in in revenue, but we think that people are going to spend money. It's like That's too short-sighted. Like, okay, A, I'm going to invest in universal childcare. What does that mean? Does that mean that we're going to have more people working in the state of Illinois, and that means we're going to have more income tax? And does that mean that we're going to have people who have more discretionary income that where they can spend it at a store or at a small business? So looking at things like that a little differently come January, and also figuring out policies where I can put that... Expense on an individual. And that sounds kind of crazy, but I'm thinking mostly about we talked about gun violence and gun reform. If we want to fix certain issues with illegal gun ownership in Illinois, maybe that means we add an additional five bucks to someone who's applying for a Floyd card and a Floyd, car is, Floyd card is a license to to carry a firearm. Do we put that cost on them to be able to fund additional police officers who can go out and collect firearms that are um, being possessed illegally? You know, so it's it's figuring out different ways, figuring out different revenue streams for whatever program you want to present forth, but you really need to be thinking about the revenue stream before you present the program.
0: My understanding on illegal firearms in the state of Illinois is not that the laws of Illinois don't address this, but that the city of Chicago basically borders the state of Indiana, where the gun laws are entirely different and much more fluid and allows people basically to buy a firearm and trade firearms without any... Uh, regulation at all. Can you address that issue in Springfield?
1: So the trade of illegal firearms is not something that I can address. Um, I know that the city of Chicago is figuring out different ways we can use law enforcement to try to get illegal guns off the streets. What I'm looking at specifically are the gun owners who have been ordered by the court system to submit and give back their guns, that they are now owning illegally. And we've seen that there's about 5,800 individuals within Illinois who have firearms in their possession, which they've been ordered to, to release to law enforcement. We had a case in Joliet where you had a, a family, a woman and her child who had a restraining order against her husband, that the father of the family. He was in possession of his firearm illegally because he had been ordered to surrender it to law enforcement. He did not surrender it. He had never been contacted to surrender it. The police had never gone to his home to collect that firearm. And he went and he ended up killing his toddler son and shooting his wife and she survived. But the issue there is that the police department doesn't have the capacity to be able to go get these firearms from people who have been ordered to surrender them. And these are people that either have, are, we are worried about domestic abuse. They've have a um, violent offense uh, against them already. So that's the least we can do. I mean, it's, that's something that I also can get passed on a bipartisan level, which I think is something we really need to talk about because the NRA has its strongholds and various legislators and it's disgusting. And that's something with money and politics. So I'm looking at, okay, what reform can I get everyone on board with? And that is void reform. And that is spending an extra $5 on your license so I can fund a police department to be able to go get uh, someone's firearm that they have illegally.
0: So Illinois ranks 11 out of 50 states for the number of women who are elected to their state legislature. Approximately 35% of the state legislature of Illinois is women. Uh, Nevada ranks number one in the country with 52%, almost 53% of women elected to their state legislature. In the last couple months, I have spoken to Mayor Anise Parker, U.S. Congresswoman Jan Schakowsky. I spoke recently with the mayor of Miami Shores, Crystal Wagger. And in all of my conversations with them, at some point, we talk about women in government and women's leadership style how would you describe your leadership style and do you feel that women lead differently than men
1: yeah we we totally lead differently than men we tend to be the workhorses and i not not trying to generalize but we tend to do a lot of the things behind the scenes which was one of the reasons i didn't want to get involved in this way in politics. We tend to collaborate more and we tend to try to figure out, okay, who can I get on my team to support this?
0: Do you think women work across the aisle easier than men?
1: I don't know if it's necessarily working across the aisle. I know that that's something that I'm dedicated to, but I think it is working with your um, your fellow Democrats or your fellow Republicans. I think we create coalitions and that makes a lot of what we put forward a little bit stronger. Just because of my experience in state government, and very much dedicated to working with Republicans in Illinois. Um, I think people will find that when you actually have conversations with people who you think are going to disagree with you, you can find common ground. And I think it makes the legislation you want to put forward a lot stronger and better. Um, If you take into consideration other people's perspectives from across the state, because Illinois is a big state and there are a lot of different parts of it. You go past I-80 and you're talking about communities that are much more rural than the city of Chicago. And this is a position where you're implementing statewide policy. So you do have to take into consideration every single person in the state of Illinois. And that's, that's my personal opinion and outlook on it.
0: Do you think that we will ever get to a place where Citizens United will be overturned and we can actually put limits on some of these extraordinary, outrageous contributions that are made non-publicly to political campaigns?
1: What we're looking at at a state level is more, do we consider publicly financing campaigns because the barrier to entry for someone who maybe doesn't have the network that I had going into will never be able to raise the amount of money that I had to I had to raise $400,000 in three months for a local state representative race I represent almost 200,000 people that is it and I had to raise $400,000 my, my opponent raised the exact same amount as I that I did so you think about that lift
0: so basically you had a million dollar state race
1: yeah in three months
0: that's extraordinary
1: Yeah. And I think that our race was very high profile. I was supported by the governor. I work in his administration. I I worked on his campaign. My opponent was supported by the mayor of Chicago. So you had some really strong individuals that were backing these races. And it also is a district that is upper middle class. So you had people who were very interested in its outcome. And then To add to that, as I mentioned before, this district is only 8% walkable. So if I wanted to try to go up and knock on someone's doors, the the amount of people I can reach that way is pretty limited. So you have to look at ways you can get into people's homes or get that face-to-face interaction. And unfortunately cable paid advertisements on social media platforms um, are kind of the only way you can you can do that nowadays.
0: Interestingly enough, we've we've got a big race coming up in November. This is a presidential year. What would you say to the women who are campaigning for office now? What piece of advice would you give your fellow women candidate that will help them ensure their path to victory? come November.
1: That's really interesting because I think the campaign landscape is very different just because of COVID. I would normally say get out in front of as many people as you possibly can. I stood outside a voting location for about two weeks straight, just standing outside saying hello and shaking hands and giving people literature. You can't do that right now. So from a messaging perspective, I would say speak to the issues that you feel are, your, are the strongest. But I would also say like speak to the women. There are universal issues that everyone cares about, but women are starting to really lead the way in elections because we do have a different leadership style and because we do look at issues differently. And I think you should lead on that foot. So talk about those issues. Talk about women's reproductive health care. Talk about the barriers for women when it comes to excelling in the C-suite. I think you're going to have a really great response.
0: Well, this has been, I feel, a really enlightening conversation. Before we wrap up, is there, is there anything that you would like to express as a candidate, as someone who is going to serve in elected office that we haven't covered?
1: I would say that if you are a young woman who is deciding to run for public office, just do it. I mean, if you're thinking about it, just do it. No one's going to ask you so don't wait for that. No one's going to tell you, hey, I'll, I'll lead the way. I'll be your, your patron. I'll uh, help you and, and walk you through this. No one's going to do that. You have to decide and then people will follow. And you're going to find those mentors come out of the woodwork and you're going to look at people and you're going to ask them for assistance, but they're not going to be there on day one. So you have to make this decision for yourself. You have to find that cause and that needs to be the reason on day one that you're running. And then the help, will come after that. The second thing, if you're a young woman running for office, don't put up with questions that are inappropriate. Shut those down. I received questions about who is going to be taking care of my child. How am I going to do this? I know of a man that was running in a much more high profile race than I was who had a baby the same time I did, and no one ever brought that up to him. And I would say with all due respect, that's not an issue that you need to worry about with me. Whoever's taking care of my child is my own business. So there, there are a few questions like that. Also, being a young woman, you're going to get inappropriate questions, too, and you can just shrug those off. So stay true to yourself, put in the hard work, and no one's going to ask you to do this.
0: You know, Margaret, I have to say that is such excellent advice and extraordinarily insightful. I want to thank you for being here. I want to thank the listeners. On behalf of the listeners, I want to wish you the best. And if you enjoyed our show, please click and subscribe uh, for notification of our future podcast. And if you haven't had an opportunity to read my book, Breaking Protocol, Forging a Path Beyond Diplomacy, it is available at your favorite online retailer or can be downloaded to your Kindle, tablet, or smartphone. Thank you once again, and many blessings.